0: The text of the sermon is from the book of Exodus. That's the second book in the Bible. Easy to find. And I'm reading from the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 5. The book of Exodus, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I think most of us know the context and, of this. Where, where I begin reading, it starts in the middle of something, so you understand that God is telling Moses to go back to Egypt and um, lead His people out, how He's going to be with him to do that. And Moses answered and said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. You ever worry about that? That you try to, um, what if somebody said to you that when you tried to witness to them or, or lead them to a new faith in Christ? Well, the Lord has not appeared to you. What if they're right? And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff a rod, then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe That the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Now, we've been talking a great deal of late about revival. There seems to be one missing ingredient without which there will never be revival. There seems to be one thing that is lacking without which God will never move in revival in our time. That is a holy desperation under which men call out to God. We don't have that holy desperation. We, we are not desperate enough for revival or for God. Did you read the account of the, um, or hear about the, um, uh, Chinese airline that uh, because of Indian, engine failure this week plunged six miles in less than a minute. I mean like a rock over the Pacific Ocean. And these reporters were questioning these people that were on that plane. And they interviewed this businessman who was coming out of China on a business trip and they asked him these dumb questions that they asked, you know, How did you feel? You know, well, what were you thinking about? And he said, I thought it's time to meet the maker. You hear that popping? Okay, can you get rid of that? What if we turn this mic off? That'll do it. Okay. He said, it's time, I thought it was time to meet the maker. And I was saying my prayers. I bet he was. And they interviewed the pilot and the pilot said, there were two times in my life when I have called upon God for my life. One was in Vietnam and one was today. Um, Where have you been? Where have I been? Um, Have you noticed what is happening around us? Have you seen the news? Have you read the papers? Are you aware of the decline of morality and religion in American life? It seems to me that if God doesn't do something, we're all sunk. But if you read this passage of scripture, if you read this story, you'll discover that God will wait for years and allow his people to suffer in order to bring about a holy desperation in them he's willing to wait for years and allow his people to suffer in order that those people might be desperate for God for him and he's willing to put a ministry on a shelf the ministry of a of a very uh, gifted and talented man for years in order to bring about this condition of desperation in that man to the point that that person has no opinions and no desires and and, and, and no hang-ups that's exactly what God did with Moses and he comes to him on the backside of the desert after 40 years And he says, what do you have in your hand? He said, I've got a rod. And he said, I want you to cast it down. When he did, it became a serpent. He said, pick it up again. And it became a rod in his hand again. Now, what he was doing there was not just some kind of an object lesson uh, for Moses to kind of file away for future reference. Um, that someday he could remember, well, God one day caused a rod to turn to a serpent, then turn back to a rod. God can do anything. No, there's much more to that experience than that. And and there's a lesson that applies to each one of us. It's kind of like tube socks, you know. Tube socks fit all sizes of feet, you know. So there's a lesson in here that fits everybody, and it goes much deeper than just some object lesson. Moses' beginning was... Quite unique. He was born to Jewish parents in Egyptian bondage in a time when it was not that you know wise to be born because the Pharaoh decided he was going to thin out the population and kill all Jewish babies. But Moses, in the strange providence of God, was spared, raised in the palace under with by by Pharaoh's daughter. And he had palace connections and he had palace education. And he laid aside all of that because the scripture says that he decided that he'd rather suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt for a season. But one day he sees two Egyptians struggling and fighting together, and he comes, an Egyptian and a Jew, and he comes and he slays the Egyptian. And he represents everybody here who likes to take matters in his own hands who will do things noble and needed but in his own strength and his own way. And so God sent him out on the backside of the desert and there this gifted man with palace connections and palace education was wasting his life away with sand and sheep. No, not really. Some of us might say, God, why don't you get Moses and get him back to Egypt and get your people out of bondage? But the only kind of people that God can really use are the people who are desperate. The only kind of church that God can really move in is a church that's desperate for God and desperate for revival. And so he was, Moses had to have this 40 year postgraduate course in the University of the Desert in order for God to season him and to use him. No, we're not ready for revival. We're not desperate enough. There's too much arguing with God, too much defending our case. No, we're not ready for revival because we're too satisfied with things as they are, too pleased with our life as it is. And God has to bring us to a place where there is nothing left but God, where there is unqualified submission to Him until there is this attitude of desperation that God is more to me than anything else, will ever God move in our life. And so these lessons, I want you to notice, they're just simple and you can see them in the text yourself. The first is this, that when God meets man, he meets man where he is with what he has. And so God said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? It wasn't, uh, Moses, what were you before? I mean, uh, let's see now, Moses, weren't you, aren't you a graduate of the University of Egypt? What did you major in? Uh Uh-huh, I'll write that down. Uh, Did you know, oh, so-and-so, do you have these connections? Moses, do you think you could pull a few strings for us? It wasn't that. It wasn't what Moses was yesterday nor was it Moses what are your plans for tomorrow it is Moses what about now this day with what you have in your hand there's always a better time to pray there's always a better time to witness I think that I'll be able to witness I'll be able to begin to share my faith next month there's always a better time to give There's always a better time to serve. There's always a better place. There's always some reason, isn't there? But if not now, when? If not here, where? If not you, who? God meets man where he is, in the place he is with what he has, and says, man, it's now or never it's now I want your life and one day Jesus looked out over a multitude of people and this multitude of people had been with Jesus for three days and they hadn't had anything to eat it's absolutely amazing to me that that this multitude of people could be three days and not complain about food listening to Jesus when if we run past twelve ten minutes it just kills us you know and, and I, I was reading that one day in my quiet time i mean, for three days these people had nothing to eat and they didn't complain about it because what is there better than the word that comes from the Father man cannot live by bread alone but Jesus recognized they had a need for, for bread for food and so he said everybody sit down and and in groups And he called Andrew and he said, to Andrew, what have we got to feed these folks? And Andrew said, all we have is five loaves and three fish. And Jesus said, let's feed the multitude. And Andrew said, that's impossible. And and, and I can just see this flame in the eyes of Jesus. And I can just feel his excitement as he said, in essence, Yes, it is impossible. That's exactly why we're going to do it. Now you sit down and we'll feed them. You know what the lesson was there? He was teaching us and them that all we need is what we have. All He needs is what we have. You just bring what you have where you are right now. That's all He needs. When God meets us, He meets us where we are with what we have. Secondly, when God meets man, He meets him where he is with what he has and He asks for it. He said, what do you have? He said, a rod. He said, I want it. Lay it down. Now, what was the rod to to a shepherd? Well, it was what he leaned on. It was a very special thing to a shepherd boy when when he was old enough to begin to tend the sheep. To go out and pick out his own rod. And they'd go and they'd find these little saplings and they'd dig them up. And they'd whittle out a rod that just fit their hand, a staff that just fit them it was a very special event in the life of the shepherd it was the extension of his right arm it was the extension of his will and his personality it was his means of security and power it's significant that in the slang vernacular the rod you know is, is is we call pistols and 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 guns rods you know and you can just uh, see these uh, guys in the West, you know, pulling back their coats, and there's their rod on their hip. It was the symbol of authority and security. It was what they leaned on. As a matter of fact, it was all that Moses had left. He gave up everything that he was, his palace connections and his palace education, and all he had was this rod in his hand. That's the only thing left that did not belong to God. What is that in your hand? It is always this, watch. God always brings us to the point in our life where we stand empty-handed before Him in order that we might prevail not by might nor by strength, but by the power of the living God. Hudson Taylor used to say, I used to think that God looked out over the world and tried to find men who were strong enough for Him to use. Now I know that God looks out over the world and tries to find men who were strong, who are weak enough for him to use what is there about what, what, what causes God when his eyes search out over the, over the earth to find those whose heart is perfect toward him that he can prove himself mighty toward? What causes him to say, I'll choose him and her, I'll choose him and her. What causes him to do that? He finds those people who are willing to come to him and say, I bring nothing to you, God, except my emptied life. I want you to know that the bottom line, the bottom line of the awakened life is the committed life. It's men and women who are willing to give to God what that which is theirs. If you want to read some thrilling story sometime, read the account of Samson. And the scripture says that Samson went down to Timnah. You remember that guy who had that strength? He went down to Timnah and he heard this lion roar and the scripture says that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson and he had nothing in his hand notice that that dual reference the Spirit of the Lord came mightily on Samson and he had nothing in his hand when can God use us it's when we yield everything to him what do you have in your hand Have you given it to God? Third lesson. Whatever you have in your life that has not been yielded to God has the nature of the serpent in it. I want you to watch that. Whatever you have in your life that has not been yielded to God has the hiss of the snake in it. And so... God told Moses to throw down that rod. When he threw it down, it became a snake. Whatever there is in your life that has not been yielded to him has the nature of the serpent in it. Now it might be some relationship that you're holding on to. It might even be a ministry, a vocation, a plan, a habit. It might be a house or an automobile or, or money or wealth, if it has not been yielded to God, it has the nature of the serpent in it, and it will sting you. It's toxic. I want you to watch this. I believe it true. That the source of your unhappiness, if you're unhappy, the source of your anguish, the source of your bitterness the source of your misery is always in that which has not been yielded to God the thing that makes you unhappy is the thing that you are holding on to that's not been given to God the source of your misery the source of your unhappiness is that which you've not yielded to him because the nature of Of the self-life is the nature of the serpent. And what we're really talking about is the the, the self-life as compared to the spirit life. The nature of the spirit life is a life of appreciation, gratitude. It's a life of adoration, joy. It's a life of, of accommodation, submission. The happiest people in the world are the people who have yielded everything to God. One last lesson from this text. The rod of Moses becomes the rod of God, and that's significant. Now, verse 2, God says to Moses, what is that? He said, it's a staff, it's a rod. They were dime a dozen. Everywhere there was a tree was a potential rod for any shepherd. I mean, every shepherd had a rod but verse 17 it no longer is a rod or a staff it is now this rod this staff you see now this rod that was in the hand of moses suddenly becomes this rod something special something unique now what made it special what made it unique it was now in the hand of god For a rod that was in the hand of a man, that rod could do only what that man could do. But when that rod is put in the hand of God, it becomes what God can do. Now Moses was a great man, had a lot of ability and talent. He had a great education. He was a skilled man. But all he could do out there in that desert was what man could do, what a good man could do. And when he placed his life and everything that was involved in his life in the hand of God, he became what God could do. not that amazing? Now Cheney said, a holy man is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. A holy man is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. You bring what you have and you give it to God. And it becomes an awesome thing. Now what happened to this staff? If you trace it out, and I, I want to just do that. Just brush across that and show you something. With this rod, it became, that rod became the symbol and the vehicle of divine deliverance. And so he went to Egypt and with that rod he delivered his people from bondage. It's the symbol and the vehicle of divine deliverance. Folks, hear this. Watch this. When you're willing to give your life to God and everything there, what you yield to Him becomes the symbol and the vehicle of divine deliverance, and you're no longer in bondage to any man or to anything. It's deliverance. There's deliverance. What you have is all you need, and what you have is what He has. It's the symbol and the vehicle of divine deliverance. Now I know some folks who are in bondage, who are in bondage to, to men, to peer pressure. And some are in bondage to things. When that life is yielded to God, they are delivered. They are no longer in bondage to any man or to anything trace this story out come to the 17th chapter with that rod they got out in the wilderness there and out in the wilderness they were thirsty they had too much water at first not enough later they were thirsty no water God said take the rod and smite the rock and when he did water gushed out watch this that rod then became the vehicle and the symbol of divine fulfillment When you give your life to God, you yield what is in your hand. He breaks up a fountain in you. I want you to notice this. I know this to be true. Some of us know this to be true. That the sources of the greatest joys in our life are the things we have yielded to God. The source of the greatest joy and fulfillment in life are the things we have given to God. He'll break up a fountain in you, a fountain of satisfaction and fulfillment and joy. And it wasn't long until Amalek comes, the leader of the Amalekites, and engages the Israelis in battle, and Moses goes up on top of the mountain with this rod. And as long as he held the rod up, The armies of Israel prevailed, but when his arms got tired and he took the rod down, Amalek prevailed. And so they came up and they held up his arms with the rod in it, the symbol and the vehicle of divine power. For when you yield your life up to God, when you give Him what is in your hands, those things themselves become the vehicle and the source and the symbol of divine power, and God begins to move in your life. And the impossible becomes possible. What do you have in your hand? It's the very thing that God wants It's the very thing that God desires. Friday afternoon I went out to the nursing home here in town to visit Mrs. Murphy. Now some of you know her, some of you don't. Newcomers don't. For years she gave her life here in in this place and serving God, sang in the choir for years. Now she's limited, confined, semi-confined to a nursing home. Um, Mrs. Murphy is the mother of Joanne Shelton. Joanne Shelton is the, for years, was the soloist for the Baptist Hour. Just the godliest woman I know. Marvelous voice. Greatest, saintliest Christian I guess I've ever met. Joanne's been ill. Some of you know that she's had several surgeries. But she's doing better, and she left yesterday, did Joanne, for four months in Korea to work with the missionaries over there and, and, and the Korean Christians. Miss Shelton, was Ms. Murphy was telling me that she was telling Joanne goodbye. And Joanne was saying, Mom, I hate to be gone for so long. And I know that, uh, I'll worry about you and you'll worry about me, etc. And Ms. Murphy said, I just told Joanne, no, honey. God gave you to me many years ago. And when He gave you to me, I gave you right back to Him. Now, everything you have this morning, I promise you, came from God. If you believe anything about God, you must believe that everything you have and everything you are is because of His mercy and loving kindness. He didn't give you those things to keep for yourself. And as long as you hold on to something in your life and keep it from God, it'll be a source. Of your misery it'll it'll bite you like a serpent it'll be a source of your agony but if you're willing to come with what you have your talent your abilities your gifts and say God these are the extensions of me this is the extension of my personality it's what I lean on it's what I care about the most It's what I cherish more than anything else. It's what I carry to give me some identity. But I want to give everything I have to you. I want to stand before you empty-handed so that I might prevail not by my ability but by the Spirit of the living God what is there in your life that you've not yet yielded to him. Would you pray with me? Father, there are some things that we cherish that we want to keep. Relationships, abilities, gifts, habits, They're part of our pride. They're the things that stand between us. God, I pray that You'll make us see what those things are. And then give us grace and faith to lay them down to Thee. If it's our unbelief, if it's our rebellion... If it's our rejection, God help us to see that we can lay even that down. Our fears, we can give that to you. And that that which has become the place of our greatest pain can become the fountain of our greatest joys. God help us to yield our life to you right now, right here. Because I pray in Jesus' name. Now we have three invitations. The first invitation is for you to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. All that is left for you is for you to surrender your heart and life to Jesus. Trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Maybe you're trusting in church membership or in doing good things for other people, or some ritual or form. Trust Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. Come publicly to trust Him. Or perhaps you need to come this morning, what we refer to as a rededication of one's life, that is to surrender to God that which stands between your walk and God. Between you and the Lord or maybe you need to join the church that's what God desires for you to place your life in the service of the church in the ministry of the church you're already Christian but you want to be a part of the church serve God with Christian people here we're going to stand to sing our invitation we'll invite you to come right on the first word you come